I have my Bible open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Always just a little disconcerting to get up and greet a computer glitch right up front. But you can see the text and we will deal with that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul to Timothy. Keep in mind that this is near the end of Paul's life and he reflects on his life with these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want to begin with these very simple observations. Paul not only entered the good fight, he fought the good fight. Paul not only started the race, he finished the race. Paul not only initially embraced the faith of the gospel, he kept it. Now, that just seems simple enough. Let's work with that for a few minutes. What if Paul had entered the good fight and then quit, walked away? What if Paul had started the race and then stopped Or what if Paul had initially embraced faith when he first obeyed the gospel, but then gave up that faith? Now the question would be, if Paul had quit, would he still have been granted the crown of righteousness? I think we all know the answer to that. So I want to frame this inquiry. Can you lose what you received? And specifically what we're going to get to is, can you lose your salvation? Many in the religious world contend that once you are saved, you're always saved. You can't lose what you received. We need to know what the Bible says for our instruction and to equip us to respond to people who bring up this false assurance. I want to frame the matter with this inquiry, can you lose what you receive? Let me start here. We know that when it comes to objects and occupations and skills and gifts, you certainly can lose what you received. Everybody, no matter their religious beliefs or if they have no religious beliefs, will acknowledge this. Have you ever lost your car keys? Don't need to raise your hand. Your cell phone, your debit or credit card. Everybody understands that you can lose what you have received. What about occupations? We all know people who were fired justly or unjustly, are laid off and lost their occupation. What about skills? There are skills that I had 50 years ago that I don't have today, and same with many of you. What about gifts? 
Let me put it this way. Do you have every birthday gift you ever received? That's very unlikely. And so when it comes to objects and occupations and skills and gifts, everybody will agree you can lose what you received. Now let's take it to another dimension. Relationships. Have you ever had the experience of having a friendship with someone? And for some reason, the friendship ended. Sadly, there are parent-child relationships that become torn. Or marriages that end. So, more serious now than car keys or credit cards, relationships can come to an end. So, just in terms of ordinary life, And illustrations, it is understood by everybody, you can lose what you have received. But we can't go home yet. We can't stop here. Our case cannot be made through illustrations. Even though the illustrations make sense and may give clarity to the subject. When you're responding to religious error... Illustrations can paint a picture that helps give clarity to the matter, but there's only one way authentically to study religious error or any religious belief or practice and be able to respond to it. And that's with the Bible open. So, on the subject of salvation, the question is, can you lose what you receive. The answer is not found in illustrations. Illustrations give clarity to the subject. Answers are found in the Bible. And we're going to do a lot of turning of pages for the next 20 minutes or so. During the remaining time, I want to take us to the Bible and we're going to examine these passages. And these passages will provide an answer to the question that we have given clarity to through illustrations. I want to give you time to turn to these passages. The first one is back in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, 41 and 42. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Jesus died so that we can come out of the kingdom of Satan and sin into his kingdom his church This says there will come a time when sinners and lawbreakers who've not been otherwise exposed will be gathered out of the kingdom. Now what can be said concerning the subject at hand? They had something, but through breaking God's law without repentance, they lost what they had. For those who were once in the kingdom, whose sins had not been previously exposed, but violated kingdom citizenship without repentance, Jesus says their destiny will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What must happen to avoid that horrible outcome 
is, of course, repentance, as called for in the other passages we're going to examine. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. <clears throat> Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. These are also the words of Jesus Christ. When we respond to him and his cross by obeying the gospel, think of it in terms of being attached to him. As a branch is attached to a vine. Now, he will keep us and nourish us and grant an eternal harvest of good. But we must stay there. We must abide in him. And there is this statement, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This becomes a notice to all of us to abide in Christ, to stay with him by being nourished by him and bearing good fruit. Otherwise, we lose what we received. I'm going to take us to the book of Acts. I'm going to stop in chapter 5, and then we're going to stop in chapter 8. Acts chapter 5. We're going to look at two cases of apostasy. Here's the first, in Acts 5, starting at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out immediately. She fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. A very simple narrative. Two Christians. God made an example of them to instill fear in the whole church about integrity and sincerity before God. No doubt they lost what they had. Now turn a few pages to Acts chapter 8. I hope you're making a list of these texts. There may come a time when you'll need to point this out to people you're talking with. Acts 8, starting at verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Here is a very simple narrative again of a case of conversion. Here was a man who heard the gospel, was baptized, but then sinned. Now, what was his condition now? His heart, Peter says, was not right in the sight of God. And so he is told to repent. Simon said, pray to me, or pray for me, to the Lord. 
In both cases, Acts 5 and Acts 8, the Holy Spirit is telling us you can lose what you received. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. We sometimes may operate on this misconception that if a man was an apostle, there was something automatic and miraculous and direct that kept him from sin. No, an apostle was still a man with the ability to make choices, right or wrong. He was given a message, and the message came directly from God, but his conduct remained within his choice. Paul was aware of that, and so he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He was not automatically and forever saved when he obeyed the gospel because of his apostleship. He knew that the capacity of choice remained and therefore he knew he needed to discipline himself as any other disciple of the Lord. He knew it was possible for him to lose what he had received. Back in the book of Proverbs, there is a specific example I want to bring up. I bring this up as a specific example of what a specific sin does in the absence of repentance and forgiveness. This would be true in any dispensation to anyone before or after baptism. It says, he who commits adultery lacks sense he who does it destroys himself. The consequences and the destruction and the ruin of adultery apply to everybody who commits the sin. Becoming a Christian does not remove the consequence of adultery. Nor if one remains in a relationship is it changed. So after you've been baptized, if you engage in this sin without repentance, you destroy yourself and you lose what you had received in baptism. James 5, 19 and 20. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. May be one of the clearest statements on the subject. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is addressed to Christians, to brethren, and it states the possibility of one among them wandering from the truth. Now what is needed when one among us wanders from the truth is to go get them to the best of our ability, to turn them back. And when the sinner is turned back, it says, a soul has been saved from death, spiritual death, separation from God. And so... What's our conclusion? Where does Scripture lead us on the subject? 
We all know you can lose your car keys, cell phone, birthday gifts. We know that relationships can end. The question comes up, can you lose your salvation? And the Bible says that you can. Now, it is incumbent upon me not to leave it just right here. It is incumbent upon me to now add this statement. You can keep what you received when you became a Christian. I'm not just going to say you can lose it and we're going to go home. You can keep what you received when you became a Christian. In 2 Peter chapter, there goes the computer again, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read starting at verse 3, it should say, and down through verse 10. Maybe it's time to change out this computer. You think that's the, the problem? 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 3 and read to verse 10. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. It doesn't say, if you memorize these qualities, you will never fall. It doesn't say, if you can define all these qualities, you will never fall. Rather, it says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. All that we've studied tonight would be utterly depressing and discouraging if we left this part out. I don't have to lose what I received when I was baptized. You don't have to lose what you received when you were baptized. What we can do is we can get up every day and add to our faith and just keep adding. Use the Word of God to cultivate and maintain virtue. Stay attached to the vine. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Repent when we sin, as Peter said, and seek God's forgiveness. We don't have to lose what we receive. Let's grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that should we have opportunity in our final hours... 
to say anything or write anything, it will be something like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's be standing as we sing. Oh, for a <coughs>